Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Mark Isaacs, who is the author, among other books, of the new book, The Cobble Peace House, which we will be discussing and which describes a community of peace activists in Afghanistan. Mark is the president of Sydney Penn, an affiliate of Penn International, a worldwide association of writers which defends freedom of expression and campaigns on behalf of writers who have been silenced by persecution or imprisonment. He is speaking with us from Australia, and his website is markjisaacs.com. Mark Isaacs, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for writing this wonderful book, The Kabul Peace House. How did you find this group of peace activists in Afghanistan? Yeah, it was quite uh, serendipitous, actually. I was traveling to Afghanistan with an NGO, an Australian NGO, Christian Brother Group, called the Edmund Rice Center. Uh, And we were conducting investigations into what happens when the Australian government deports people who've uh, tried to seek asylum in Australia and, and the government have deemed them to not be refugees and then deported them back to Afghanistan. Uh, and at that time, it was uh, March 2016, the Australian government were claiming that the that it was safe to, to deport people back to Kabul and they classified Kabul as a safe zone. And so this group of, uh, of researchers decided that we would, we would go, go to Afghanistan and, and investigate whether that was, was true or not and, and, and how true it was. Uh, and so I travelled in March 2016 to, to Kabul, and uh, it was, you know, that, that time we, we, uh, we spoke to experts and we spoke to people on the ground uh, about what the situation was like, uh, the UN had just released a report that said that uh, um, that it, it's 2015 was uh, one of the worst years for civilian civilian casualties since 2001, and every year since it has gotten worse. Uh, you had the Taliban controlled about a third of the country, and uh, you had a branch of the Islamic State had just emerged uh, in certain provinces of central Afghanistan, uh, and you generally had this sense from the experts and the people that we spoke to that the, there was a huge amount of hopelessness in the country. People thought the the, the government was uh, on the verge of collapse. They thought the economy was on the verge of collapse. There were people fleeing again. Uh, and just in Kabul alone, there were, in the year 2015, the year before I arrived, there were 249 significant attacks. Uh, so safe to say that <laughs> uh, Kabul was not safe. Uh, it was. It would be very difficult to deport uh, anyone back to that country and, and claim that you could do so safely. Uh, and and even worse, the, the, the general idea was that that Afghanistan was was heading to for worse times and and outright war. Uh, and so, in that context, while I was doing those investigations, one of the, the researchers introduced me to this uh, this group. Uh, and you know, I met the the founder of the group. Uh, and we, his name is, is changed for the purposes of the book to protect his identity and because a lot of the, the, the themes and ideas that these guys discuss, this community of peace activists discuss, is quite dangerous for them to do so in Afghanistan. You know, ideas of equality and ethnic equality and sectarian equality. Uh, but, you know, I met this, this group uh, and this, the, the founder of the group, Insan, uh, said to me, uh, we are trying to build... A, a critical mass of nonviolent relationships 
to build a green, equitable, non-violent world without war. <laughs> you know, and in, in the context of of everything you've just heard about how hopeless Afghanistan was, this this was a, an unbelievable thing to hear. Uh, and his, you know, the, these ideals were reflected in the, you know, the hope that was inspired in these young people. You know, uh, one of the first people I spoke to was this young girl who was about 15 or 16, and she said, there's a hope growing in my heart for the future of this country. And I was immediately struck as to how does this hope exist in these young people, uh, these young Afghans, they were teenagers, they were university students, they were high school students. How could they believe in an Afghanistan when all of the experts and the, the people who'd been spoken to previously had been telling us just how hopeless the country was? Uh, and that hope that existed in them inspired me to try and understand their story and learn about how they'd created this group and, and why they'd created this group and why they were so hopeful when, when others were so hopeless. And, and apart from whether they're hopeful or not, or whether it's justified or not, they're engaging in peace activism and related activities in the middle of, uh, of occupied Afghanistan. How, how did such a thing get started? Yeah, exactly. So, so the, the origins of the group uh, are very much... Uh, exist within this, this, this man called Insan. Uh, and he was, he was actually uh, working in, as, a, as a kind of medical doctor, a humanitarian uh, medical doctor in the mountains of central Af- Afghanistan. Uh, and he was, you know, he had this idea that he could change the world or do wonderful things as this, um, I guess it was a, perhaps a very ambitious or, or idealistic kind of view of, of being a humanitarian worker. Uh, and, but in the mountains of central Afghanistan, he, uh, this is way back in the early or, or the kind of mid 2000s, late 2000s. He, he, you know, he was, he was teaching people about, uh, water education because, because dirty water was a huge, uh, issue in Afghanistan. It killed, uh, had high mortality rates in children. Um, and so he, he was doing this work and trying to educate people around, um, better health practices, but he discovered that what people were actually hurting from and what was the, the, the kind of greater problems was the, the effects of war. And, the, you know, people were suffering from anger, from revenge, from trauma, from loss. Uh, they had lost culture. They'd lost family members. They'd lost uh, ideas on how to, or, or the, the kind of the skills of how to work with the land. Uh, and so he, he spoke to people who said, we would wish for weeks of hunger if our family members would stop dying. Uh, and he spoke to a, a grave digger who said, there's just too much work, I can't keep up. You know, and so he began to think, well, you know, how can I, uh, how can I cure the disease of war? How can we try and stop people uh, being affected by war? Um, which is, again, what an amazing thing to think about just as a, as a concept of how to stop war. And his first step was, and, and, and this will begin to, I mean, these early steps are exactly how they've gone about their philosophy of nonviolence and, and, and peace activism. Uh, but it's small steps, uh, local grassroots steps uh, to, to, to working for peace. And so his first idea was, well, we have to start a discussion about peace. And so he approached the local university in the area uh, and he said he wanted to do a, a peace workshop. And the university agreed and he invited a number of undergraduates. I think he had about 50 in total uh, at the, in the early, even in, in that first shop. 
uh, and he and they began a three month discussion on on what peace was and how they could work for peace in Afghanistan. Uh, and at the end of that, he asked the group, "Do you think peace is possible in Afghanistan?" And they said no. <laughs> and again, another point where you think someone might be uh, discouraged from the work or, or think it might not be possible. But Insan said, "Okay, well, what are we going to do about the impossibility of peace and the in- inevitability of war? What can we do about this endless war?" Because he he didn't believe that war could be endless, uh, and so he suggested to these people, knowing that ethnic conflict was one of the major conflicts in Afghanistan, not just ethnic but sectarian between Sunni and Shia Muslims, he suggested to this group, "Why don't we start a?" a multi-ethnic, multi-sectarian community that lived together to be an example to the rest of Afghanistan that peace is possible, that people can live together, that uh, that ethnic groups don't have to be divided and that Sunni and Shia people have more in common than they have uh, differences. And, you know, the group were shocked by this, but at the end of the class that day, 16 undergraduates joined uh, from seven different ethnic groups. And that day was the day that Insan learned that the yearning for peace was greater than the fear of violence in Afghanistan. Uh, because that was a very risky, and it was a very risky move to, to join this group. It, it, uh, the ideas of ethnic equality and sectarian equality or, or harmony uh, challenge military, religious, and political hierarchies in Afghanistan, and, and even challenge kind of familial relationships because a lot of these these conflicts and a lot of these uh, rivalries have existed for for decades now because of the the four decades of war since the Soviet Union evaded in 1979. Uh, But they have also uh, been... They exist because of the conflict uh, within that region. You know, families have fought against each other in that region and so to to forgive and to shake hands with people who have been perceived as enemies or rivals in that region uh, challenges the, I guess, the, the kind of the, the status quo. Uh, and so, and, and, and it scares people. Uh, and so this was a huge act, but it was uh, in many ways successful. In some ways, um, it caused them... Uh, a lot of drama. Um, Insan was threatened, uh, anonymously threatened for his role in this in this movement, and he continued despite those threats. Uh, and uh, a lot of the, pe- the young people received, you know, um, criticisms. They received ridicule uh, uh, for for joining, you know, this voluntary group. The idea of even volunteering was something which was. Uh, foreign to a lot of these, uh, the, the, well, to, to the people in this area. Um, you know, this is an extremely poor area where if you have time, you're supposed to be working to earn money to help your family survive. And so uh, it was an interesting and uh, controversial kind of introduction to the, to the, to the area. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that was the origins. And then from there, they started uh, these... I guess, small-scale community-building projects, which were aimed at... Uh, there was a number of different uh, activities that, that they ran. They, they started a peace park where they started growing trees in a, in a once-arid plot of land. They did clean, green environment kind of projects where they would 
clean up the local environment. They did peace tricks to uh, uh, raise awareness about peace. Uh, and then there was much, you know, kind of reaching out to, to other ethnic groups with offers of friendship and, and discussions and social activities. Um, so small scale uh, on the big scheme, on the big kind of um, uh, the big picture, but but huge movements in that small local community. Yeah, we're speaking with Mark Isaacs, who is the author of this wonderful book. I highly recommend the Kabul Peace House. Um, Mark, I want to ask about some of the projects they got started, uh, but uh, yeah. I, I'm curious about the the danger to them of 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 sort of modeling a multi ethnic community in Afghanistan. Do do you want the book to be translated into the languages of Afghanistan and read in Afghanistan, or do you want it n- not to be? Is it a book intended for the rest of the world? Yeah, so I think uh, that's a very good question, and it's it's something that we uh, we discussed a lot in the community when when I asked for the well, when we talked about permission to write the story and and the dangers around it. Uh, there was a lot of fear about about telling their stories. Uh, they have done a lot of this advocacy work, and there's been a, a, a quite a large presence in Afghanistan. Or, or sorry, their work has had quite a large presence in Afghanistan and in their lives. Uh, and and it has come with a lot of risk, uh, but it's a completely ent- like new thing to to not only publish the story but publish the thoughts around and the philosophies around how they feel um, and 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 why they engage in this work. So ideas of equality of uh, not just the, the ethnic and sectarian equality that we've discussed, but gender equality uh, and. You know, speaking with foreigners, uh, that that is something that, that challenges a lot of Afghans, uh, and so uh, they were they were very concerned around uh, not only putting their their stories down, but then seeing what it would would happen when when other people read it. Ultimately, we came to this this idea that they at, at some point they've already taken huge risks. Uh, for this work, and at some point they need to, or they would like that work to 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 be read about and be used as an example to the rest of the world, and so they they see this as a way of spreading their story and spreading their message despite the risks, uh, and so they ultimately agreed to and 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 wanted to have their their story shared to the international community, uh, but the minute I had that that the book was published, there was a huge amount of people contacting me from Afghanistan saying, what a wonderful idea for a book. Just the idea of even having peace in the title intrigued Afghans. And I, and I think that reaction has ultimately um, encouraged us and encouraged the group to have their story shared in Afghanistan, uh, despite the risks. And, and we have anonymized the story. We have uh, changed details and obscured details uh, change names to try and, as much as possible, uh, protect the community and the individuals within the community. Um, but at some level, that's you know, they're, they're, you, you can't completely hide the details, and there may there may be some um, you know negative reactions to that that story. Yeah. Well, I hope there are many more positive reactions. Uh, one one of the projects they did uh, fairly early on, I guess, was to uh, 
to have members of young people of one ethnic group create, manufacture gifts and send them to member young people in a in a different and and hated and and demonized ethnic group uh, in a in a far off part of Afghanistan. How did how did that project go? Yeah, so they uh, very early on when they were in the mountains of central Afghanistan before they relocated to Kabul, uh, they sewed these peace pouches. They they sewed these leather pouches and then and um, and and sewed the word peace into their into the the pouches and sent them to uh, youth groups in in Kandahar, which is essentially kind of the heartland of the Taliban, uh, and these 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 Pashtun youth groups. And previously, the the, the the community or the, the the young people that are working with Insan are from a Hazara Tajik populated area, and they'd, many of them had never even met the Pashtun met a Pashtun person, uh, let alone spoken with one. And uh, in those areas, the Pashtun people can be become kind of synonymous with the Taliban, which is an unfair um, uh, kind of association. But but it can often happen in Afghanistan, and so to reach out to them is is a daring act, and 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 actually, family members of the you know of the the young men who who sewed these peace pouches um, were quite upset that they would they would offer these kind of this friendship to the Pashtun people, and yet when the Pashtun groups received these peace pouches, they were just amazed, and they they rang them up and said, "We cannot believe that someone you know from from a Hazara or Tajik community would reach out to us like this and." And uh, an offer friendship, and it, it it was a beneficial for both groups. This this offering of peace, yeah. And and there were other projects that are are ongoing, right? Providing providing food and education and and blankets and and jobs uh, for people. Yeah. So they uh, when they talk about you know building peace in Afghanistan and, and using nonviolence. As a, as a philosophy for building peace, uh, they actually have two uh, idols. Who they, you know, these um, leaders of, of thought, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and, and Mahatma Gandhi, and uh, they they quote Gandhi, who says that uh, the majority of his of his nonviolent practices is through community building and constructive kind of action. And so they very early on decided that in order to build peace in Afghanistan, they would have to uh, kind of rebuild communities that have been destroyed or decimated by war. Uh, and so a large part of that was trying to encourage Afghans to take responsibility for for their country and to, and their, uh, their um and for their communities, and so they they actually uh, began with a, starting a, a school for street kids. Uh, and they it grew from the initial pilot project was uh, inviting five young uh, students uh, from internally displaced people's camps uh, and 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 starting to teach them in you know diary the the local language and uh, mathematics and nonviolence uh, and then that now has grown to about having a hundred students involved uh, and and the the community members who, who volunteer at the group are, are volunteers the teachers uh, they also uh, run a food bank where they encourage other Afghans to donate food to the the food bank which is then 
used to redistribute it to uh, the families of the children who were involved in the the uh, the school. And so these children would usually be working on the street uh, to help supplement their family's income. Uh, and so the idea of the food bank is to say, if you come and join our school, we will provide you with food so you don't have to lose that income that would usually you would usually make either polishing boots of you know passers by or selling knickknacks on the street. Um, so that that was like one of their phenomenal projects. But they also uh, hire seamstresses to sew duvets. Uh, so not only does that provide income and, and, and gainful employment for for, for women in the area, um, they can also use those duvets. To, uh, they donate those duvets to kind of less well-off Afghans. So that's you know veterans of war or war widows uh, or you know single parent families, um, which is you know it has that twofold thing. It, 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 it it's motivating Afghans. It's it's um, to to help each other. It's motive. It's helping people find work, and it's also assisting the most vulnerable in society. Um, so there's a number of different projects like that, but those two are kind of best representative of their of their philosophies and and, and their approaches to building peace in Afghanistan. So, yeah. so you have this group of young people building community, engaging in projects, and studying peace and nonviolence. And then what happens when the United States gets a new president uh, in Barack Obama who triples the, the size of the U.S. war in Afghanistan, escalates the, the war, and then is given the Nobel Peace Prize? How, how do they respond to that? Yeah, this is a, this is a pretty funny reaction, right? Because you've got these, these young Afghans, uh, teenagers, you know, 14, 15, Trying to, you know, like learning about these ideas of peace and learning about these philosophies of, of uh, you know, like I discussed before, of Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi and, and trying to implement those values uh, to try and work for peace in their country. And the person who's increased warfare and violence and killing in their country has then been awarded a, a peace prize, which... Uh, which Insan kind of quotes 1984 by saying "War is peace." <laughs> when that when that happens, and one of the young men, um, his name is Muslim, you're in the book says he he had a picture of Obama, uh, and behind Obama is a picture of um, in his you know in the in his office as president um, is a picture of Martin Luther King, and the young you know 14 year old Afghan says. I can't understand why he could be bombing us when he has that man's picture behind him. And so this young group of Afghans decide they're going to hold a, a vigil in a park in the mountains of central Afghanistan, and they're going to remain in this tent vigil. So they sit in a tent um, and sleep in a tent for, you know, and, and essentially until uh, Obama hears their message and, re- and responds to them, <laughs> uh, which is a very ambitious, slightly naive, kind of approach, uh, some would say. And yet they, they do it. They sit in this tent, uh, and it's coming close to, you know, winter in this in this extremely cold, mountainous area. Um, and and they remain in that tent for a number of days, uh, to the point where Insan was kind of worried about, you know, what might happen. Um, but as luck would have it, the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador, um arrives in the town um, whilst the vigil is ongoing uh, and he visits them 
And they're, you know, they're quite amazed by this. Like, oh my God, it's worked. We've, we've managed to get the ambassador of the US to come and speak to us. Uh, and, you know, the, the process was quite, a, I think it was a hugely um, encouraging process for them. It was validating to see them to, for them to get a response from a, essentially like a US political figure. Uh, but, you know, what was interesting was this, this, this ambassador, uh, says to the guys, you know, he wanted the, the, the boys to promise to return to school and, um, and make all these promises, and he said he would offer the, you know, the, send this message back to President Obama, um, and that was enough for them to stop the vigil, but I think it became quite clear that he was never going to pass that message on um, to the president. Still, uh, still a job well done, and uh, and they are continuing to do great work. Um, you, you know, there have been so many books yeah. uh, about Afghanistan uh, in in the past uh, <laughs> how many eighteen years of of this current phase of the war, and uh, and a lot of them have been about heroes from the West riding in on a horse to save the poor Afghans. And this this is this is a book about young Afghans making the world better. Uh, on their own. Uh, I, I very much hope that, that people take to this book the way they have to some of the, the others. What is, what would you mo- what is your, your grandest desire that you'd like to see come out of, uh, of this book? What I, what I love about this book, is, you've pretty much nailed it, is the idea that these people aren't relying upon others to, to make peace in Afghanistan. They're, they're, it's essentially a reaction to the failures of international um, and domestic diplomacy. And they've realized that even if some kind of political agreement is made between Trump and the Taliban, which it seems very unlikely now, or between the political uh, authorities, uh, you know, international and domestic, what will that actually mean to the Afghan people? Uh, and what will peace look like if a political agreement is made? And the real they, these young people who were, you know, teenagers and university students have realised that if they're going to build peace in Afghanistan, they have to uh, essentially shake hands with the people around them and learn to to live with the people around them. Uh, you know, people from other ethnic groups, people from other religious groups, uh, foreigners, and so they're. They they understand that, and, and they are working as hard as they can towards that. What are the biggest challenges in the future for them and, and for Afghanistan is the role the international community has played in stoking war and, and, and vying for political, uh, I guess, uh, interest in the area. Uh, but these, these the philosophies that they're espousing and the, and the, the work that they're trying to do are not new ideas. They're ancient philosophies. They've existed in numerous different religions, in different cultures, in different eras, in different countries, uh, in different time periods throughout human history. You have the great example of Martin Luther King in in America in the nineteen, you know, the, the civil rights movement in the sure. in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. You've got you've got Mahatma Gandhi. You've got uh, you even have uh, an Afghan Gandhi, a frontier Gandhi, who used nonviolent methods to uh, to oppose the British. So there's all these different uh, phenomenal examples of this of this philosophy, and these guys are just the latest example of it. Uh, and so whether or not they're successful 
uh, in their eyes, uh, it's not irrelevant, but it's it's only part of the story. What they're doing is essentially striving for an ideal and, and uh, implementing it as best they can. And I think there are lessons to be learnt well, it is uh, all, and that can be applied to all our countries and all our people. It, yeah. it is a wonderful so I example. I, I, I wish we could go on, uh, but we're out of, of minutes. Uh, I, I hope that people in the United States and the rest of the world manage to learn some of these lessons. Uh, the book is The Cobble Peace House. We've been speaking with its author, Mark Isaacs. Mark, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.